Welcome back to the premiere of Tender Rage with Sonny Adcock, featuring guest Heba Ali. This is part two of our discussion on Harry Styles and masculinity. Despite this conversation largely focusing on gender performance, here at Tender Rage we are more interested in the human capacity for empathy, self-awareness and vulnerability, regardless of gender. In particular, we want to see a world where masculinity is defined by upholding liberal perspectives on consent, ego, power and aggression. Listeners should be advised that this episode contains references to racism, sexism and queerphobia. His sort of his very keen empathy and sensitivity to others, I think, is what characterizes his enormous appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, he really has become the blueprint for modern masculinity. Being somebody that we have decided possesses, you know, a huge amount of sex appeal and charisma and sort of an X factor, to then be somebody who at the same time or sort of encourages people to treat others with kindness, who is openly vulnerable, who speaks about therapy, mm. um, and who is, you know, interested in fashion and interested in reading and who watches the rom-coms mm. and is very unashamed about those things. I think that really transforms the very macho, the very toxic and the very het idea of masculinity that has typically been the most popular or the most um, predominant in recent years. Definitely. And I think that I also might be a bit young to know, but I don't recall seeing any other, mm. not let, let alone pop idols, but celebrities um, kind of do this to the extent that Harry has. But it's also that he's not actively just being like, oh, I love, mm. I love traditionally feminine things. Like mm. these are just things that fans have picked up on and noticed. Yes. So he's not, I wouldn't say that he's being performative with it, even mm. though he has been accused of performing femininity, which I think is quite interesting because it really negates the concept of gender. Mm. And it really, yeah, it really reduces it back to the binary um, of like, you can only be masculine or you can only be feminine. But it's like we can all engage in like masculinity or femininity in different ways. They're not ascribed to gender. They're just things. What about David Bowie, though? Well, so that's what I was going to say. Like for our generation, mm, yeah. we haven't seen that. For those of you who just heard, that was our wonderful editor, Evelyn. I would say that Harry is very influenced by David Bowie and like Mick Jagger. There are a lot of sort of older icons that he's influenced by but I think for the social media age Mm. in the 2000s I mean I'm 20 and he was 22 I think in our generation for young like Mm. really young heartthrobs it's not something that we have seen to this extent because I throw my mind back to like Jesse McCartney Mm. and like NSYNC and those kind of people who Mm. were like kind of 90s which I was still Mm -hmm. either very young or not Mm -hmm. born yet to remember but thinking of people like Justin Bieber and even like Shawn Mendes now, I feel like Shawn Mendes has been one of those people mm. who is kind of on that journey with Harry, but mm. in a very different way. And he's very influenced by Harry, I think, as well. I think so as well. Um, you know, people like David Bowie and even Prince um, mm. um, who have consistently been authentic with how they express gender. And yeah, that's I think that's also very true. Like the period of the 70s and 60s, I want to say. It's like the glam rock period. Yeah, mm. yeah. And obviously stuff like Rocky Horror and that kind of stuff was mm. always quite um, grounded in like the queer slash gender diverse mm. scene. And so, yeah, I think it's completely incorrect to say that Harry is the first one to no, do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I do think he's one of the notable ones to do it in our mm. generation or the age of social media, as Sunny was saying as well. 
Um, which is, yeah, very cool for someone his age to be doing. Yeah. He seems old because or older because we're younger than him, but he's only 27 and it's he's been doing this, you know, since he was 16. So mm. it's a huge, takes a lot of courage, unfortunately. But Evelyn, um, I'm going to call on your interjections again. You said something really interesting to me when we were discussing this episode, because um, I am constantly trying to get you onto Harry Styles and I've had some successes. But you said that it's really interesting because he he looks like he should be the enemy. Can you unpack that a little bit if you remember... I remember I was always very like that hipster kid in like middle school where I sort of like would low key like listening to some pop music, but generally sort of avoided like attaching myself to that identity because he just sort of looked like the kind of asshole in school <laughs> who would just be really unpleasant to talk to and would like grab people in locker rooms and just mm, generally yeah. be unpleasant. And even nowadays with uh, the whole huge teen like pop star mm. sort of facade like you think of people like you've constantly compared him to like justin bieber it's like mm. that guy is a dickhead he yeah. looks like the enemy he yeah. upholds the system that oppressed many different kind of marginalized mm. people and harry styles looks like he should be that yeah. but he's not mm. and that is unsettling <laughs> we're so used to that um and that is yeah such an interesting point as well when asani had told me that too it was like wow that's very true. She said that to me when I was just at her kitchen table, drinking a cup of tea, typing. And I literally was like, hold up. Say that again. You've just blown <laughs> my mind. Bars, yeah. Literally, I was like, whoa. <laughs> because, yeah, that's the thing. He is he is conventionally attractive. And, like, look, there is, um, you also raised a really good point of would I stand him as much if he wasn't as attractive? <laughs> and what was um, your answer? <laughs> he is attractive. He is attractive. So I don't know. So that's that. not a uh, yeah, so that's not look. I there are times when I haven't been as attracted to him, and I have. This is so cringy, guys. Please just forgive me. I am smart. I promise. There have been times where I've I've said to them, like my siblings when they've been like, "Oh, he looks a bit weird there." I've been like, "Yeah, but I'm attracted to his soul, so like I don't <laughs> care." And like, look, obviously how someone looks gets you the first glance, but I think it's what they do with the attention then. And then mm. when I saw his personality, that really just heightened yeah. all of the feelings. So now it's surpassed attraction. But I think if I'm being honest with myself, if he was the exact same person, but not as attractive, I definitely think I would still stand him. And maybe I would actually become attracted to him anyway. But I think probably would I have t-shirts with his face on it? Maybe, Maybe not. not. <laughs> Will we be sitting here in our matching Harry shirts? Possibly not. Possibly not. But good thing we don't have to go there. <laughs> That's an, another imagined universe. Exactly. An about. AU that we're not in right now. <laughs> so over the last couple of months, um, our King Harry has been busy on a film set. Um, he's been cast as a supporting role in Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling. And this definitely came as a bit of a shock slash surprise to me. I thought Dunkirk was his one and done acting opportunity, but I'm really glad to see him back on the screen. And especially like as a filmmaker and stuff like that as well. Um, it's just really exciting to see, I guess, like your role model type really exploring their range and hopping into different modes of expression. And it was obviously no secret now that him and Olivia Wilde are in a relationship. I took me a minute, took Sunny and I a minute to 
process. Yep. So we had an emergency two-hour FaceTime <laughs> and we found out. Black was worn. <laughs> Black was worn. But the, the consensus around them is that we do love them together. We think Olivia's a woman. I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> look, I was really trying to make us look great. Actually, because feminism out of the bin, we love it. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, similar con- um, vibes mm-hmm. when I was telling a friend. He was like, oh, well, she gave us book smart so she can have whatever she wants. True. And I was like, look, uh, agree. Um, I think in general, it's a step up from the previous yeah. mm-hmm. people he's dated. Mm-hmm. Um and we do love Olivia's mind, body yes. and soul. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm happy to to call this a a successful relationship venture for Harry. But yeah, on Olivia's Instagram, she's been doing these little appreciation posts for all of the cast and crew. And her recent post for Harry, she said, "Lots of male actors don't want to play supporting roles in female-led films." And of course, "Don't Worry, Darling" is a female-led film directed by Olivia Wilde, of course, and then starring Florence Pugh in the leading role. And in her post, Olivia mentions that the industry has raised um, male actors to believe that it lessens their power or financial value to accept the roles where they're playing supporting characters. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and it's not something that I had heard of before and it's actually kind of sad and disheartening as a female filmmaker or someone who wants to get into film as well. And so then Olivia goes on to say that Harry was wonderful for allowing Florence the opportunity to hold centre stage but he also brought like the nuanced sense of humanity that the character required and yeah, she she was just kind of speaking him up and being very sweet about like his role in the project and I think that it's really it's really Harry. It's really of him to kind of be like, yeah, I'll I'll hop on and do this like fun thing and I'm happy to just be in a supporting character, not playing center stage or anything like that and I thought that was um that was really cool of him. Especially cuz one thing that the caption revealed that like really shook me was that apparently it's hard well I mean jokes <laughs> that it's it's a no-brainer but it was hard to have it reinforced. From somebody who is in Hollywood recognized mm-hmm. as a really credible creative, that even in her position, it's hard to find actors mm-hmm. um, who recognize that why it might be worth their time, but also that it's hard to get financing for those movies that focus on female stories. Hearing that from her perspective, mm-hmm. um, somebody who is very financially stable, yeah, was rough. Definitely. And even, you know, her being this known actor as well and like a lot of the leading female directors especially I guess in the western world like you know Greta Gerwig, Olivia Wilde and um even the, uh what's her name Sofia Coppola are all products of nepotism to some extent mm. and so even for like these somewhat powerful women or these women who hold some sort of cultural capital it is still so difficult for them to get their stories about white heterosexual mm, yeah. women out <laughs> like do any of us stand a chance yeah wow that's so harrowing yeah but uh yeah it was such an interesting note and i feel like it was really cool for, of her to share because i've never heard it spoken about and it was yeah very interesting to it's hear about. very indicative of why we love him hmm. and also just on harry's role in the film um and just like who he is in general evelyn the producer of tender age also had a really interesting point about Harry and the way he interacts with the female gaze. Do you want to have a little chat about that, Evelyn? Oh, yeah. It's just he's the only pop star right now off the top of my head that actually deploys the female gaze as, like, part of his brand and his popularity. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of the male stars 
like particularly film stars that we sort of worship are very much like male gaze oriented, like women are objects to them. They're not really making their personal brand for women per se, but for like men who think that's what women want, mm-hmm. like Chris Hemsworth and should all of these ones who are just like they're nice human beings and he's got a lovely family and all that sort of stuff and he hasn't done anything wrong per se. It's just the reason he and his brand of masculinity is super popular is not because women made him so. Mm. Definitely. Um, and I think that's so interesting because, yeah, like you were saying as well, Chris Hemsworth is what men think women want. Um, whereas, you know, we've been saying it time and time again, Harry, our king, let us find someone like him. It's also interesting. I'm not going to articulate this very well, but I saw this from TikTok <laughs> as I find most valuable facts these days. But it's this idea that like most men only do things for other men mm. in the sense of like, okay, this is this is not a fully formed thought. So please give me some forgiveness, some understanding. But like even to a certain extent, men will have sex with women to look good and to boast Through about it to, to guy friends. other men like yeah. Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans. Obviously very different from Harry and yet both sorts of forms of masculinity are praised, but I think only one of them is gravitated towards impressing other men mm. and having other... It, it's a very aspirational form of masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, men look at, you know, these Avengers stars and want to be them. And that's where I think their star power comes from, not necessarily just because women are attracted to that because they're not exclusively attracted to that, but Mm. I feel other men are exclusively inspired by that. But it's interesting in saying that because now what women want and how men want to be is changing because of people like Harry who Mm. um, embrace femininity and who embrace fluidity. Mm. Um, He has become the blueprint for a lot of TikTok stars and boys (laughs) online who are now trying to model those sorts of more feminine or expressive behaviors, whether authentic or not, because they're figuring out that like, however they feel about Harry, all of their girls want Harry Styles. Definitely. And just quickly, links a little bit to yours, Mm. Sunny, but just quickly in what Evelyn was saying about the female gaze as well. I also saw this on TikTok. The male gaze is kind of like fantasies about physical elements of the man or the woman, depending on who is viewing. And in the female gaze, it's like, we ascribe personality traits yes. and fantasize about what kind of person this man could be or is. And I feel like Harry really brings that through with like his values and the things that he stands for, as opposed to like, yes, he's an attractive person, but I don't feel like I've ever viewed him in the lens of the male gaze personally. Mm. Like I know fans would like post pictures of him shirtless and stuff, but like for me, that never really did anything. Yeah. It was just kind of like, wow, I really like who he is as a person. And mm. I think that really encapsulates the female gaze. Mm. Um, and just bringing it back to what you were saying about how he has become the blueprint mm. for the new, the, what is what is now attractive mm. in men and, um, and in boys and how like these TikTok stars and even just like boys and men in general are really like mimicking these both physical and emotional elements Mm. that harry kind of puts out into the universe um and but all of these have their positives and negatives Mm -hmm. as well but um i think for the most part it's really great to see guys being like yeah i don't really care about you know wearing a skirt or wearing a dress or you know wearing nail polish but at the same token these ways of expression have also become weaponized against women sometimes and i think also 
when you see men emulate these ideas of all these new masculine Mm -hmm. ideas, it's easy to kind of be a little bit more trusting in them and feel a little bit more safer. But I think that can also be used as a tool of manipulation as well. Because there have been many instances where I see like guys wearing nail polish or with like fun piercings or, you know, different clothing still being quite misogynistic towards women, whether it be like, you know, calling them bitches or being homophobic and kind of saying Mm. like, you know, um, not using someone's pronouns. And so it's like it, it brings this new level of performative gender, but as a tool of power, Mm. um, which I think is very interesting and, like, much to unpack there as well. You said it really interesting in our sort of pre-conversation. You said that men who have witnessed the – and more boys, I guess, more prominently, who have witnessed the Harry Styles effect, namely on women, have weaponized fluid masculinity and used it as a tool of manipulation. And Mm. then you said that it's just misogyny manifesting under more covert measures. Definitely, Yeah you know, it was becoming quite obvious that, like, being a controlling, quote-unquote, fuckboy, mm-hmm. that had gotten old. People mm. could see through that very easily. So now I think it's, like, new ways to be more secretive about, mm-hmm. you know, manipulation and holding power over women as well. And I think this is very, like, dangerously covert because I'll see someone's nail polish and be like, oh, he must be such a progressive, mm. lovely man, when in reality he's still, like, you know, I don't know this person. It could... They're catfishing us. Catfishing. I mean, oh, honestly, catfishing. <laughs> the whole thing, yeah. It's funny because I think we see it a lot in like soft boys and e-boys and different sort of subcultures. And I think it relates to our larger problem within sort of feminist and gendered discourse. Where in the sort of conversation that surrounds gender and gender expression is still so centered on sort of physical expression and physical appearance versus character and ways of being and and Mm -hmm. ways of loving and caring. And so I think as we're getting more progressive in the discourse about how men and women and non-binary and trans folks are allowed to sort of physically present and dress, we're forgetting to sort of bring with it the discourse of actually how our characters should be in order to live in a truly sort of egalitarian, Mm -hmm. respectful, progressive society. And so I think a lot of boys have seen that appearing in such a way is successful for men like Harry, Mm. but they've realized this in a very self-serving way where they still want to attract girls, but are are still incredibly misogynistic Mm. um, and racist and sexist and homophobic. Mm. Um, And it's kind of part of that whole soft boy idea. And for people who aren't familiar with that term, a writer at Vice coined a really interesting piece called What is a Soft Boy in 2019? And the author claimed that these boys perform subtle emotional manipulation via a false projection of vulnerability. Mm, mm. Um, So I think that's just part of a broader conversation of women needing to recognize the red flags and the signs and just the way that femininity can be really performative, Mm. Um, which I think brings us to our next topic really nicely about sort of gender expression, the the larger gender debate and about being performative in our expression. Because I think it's impossible to do an episode about Harry and his masculinity without touching on the Vogue cover. The Vogue cover, the infamous <laughs> Vogue cover. Where were you when you saw yeah. it? <laughs> and how has your life been since? <laughs> the before and after. For those of you who were somewhere else when it dropped, in November 2020, 
Harry was photographed by Tyler Johnson wearing a dress um, that was designed by a 24-year-old gender-fluid fashion designer named Harris Reed. Uh, Harry was the first man to appear solo on the cover of Vogue. Which is huge. Very huge. My initial reaction was like, oh, this is like cool. I didn't really think it, like it blew up to be a much bigger thing than I thought it would be. I think because us as fans of Harry were like, oh, this feels quite ordinary very on brand for him yeah. it was expected yeah and it's i don't think it's the first picture we've ever seen of him wearing a dress like we, he had the snl promo pictures um in which he was wearing um like a tutu slash leotard but that for me was like oh wow like really surprising mm. and this vogue cover was a lot less surprising like i i thought that we had come to know harry as someone who was comfortable with um clothing and didn't really ascribe gender to, to clothing but I think also the platform of Vogue is so much different to like his Instagram post mm. about SNL. So I think with that brought lots of discourse from so many different groups, whether it be fans, politicians, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, activists and all the, all, all the like. I think it was a very interesting discussion that I don't know if he knew it was going to get that big. No. I remember when I first saw it, my I was excited that he was on Vogue. My first reaction was not, oh my gosh, she's wearing a dress, was, oh, I don't even want to be offensive because I love Harris Reed and in my wildest dreams if they listen to this podcast. I think I was more hoping that the dress would be more interesting appearing. <laughs> so obviously my mind was in a completely different place. It was yeah. more about the um, appearance of the dress rather the than the dress style. itself. Yeah. And I guess that just shows how desensitized mm. we've become to seeing mm. him and other males wearing a dress. And it was more about the fact that I, I remember us having discussions about sort of the liveliness of the shoot yeah. and its expression. The yeah, the lack thereof. And just a missed opportunity to say and... Mm. Um, convey more through positions through facial Mm. expressions through background and you know things you are far more knowledgeable about than me as a photographer (laughs) not at all um which thinking about it now i know we had that discussion Mm -hmm. about it and you and i both agreed that it was Mm -hmm. a little bit underwhelming in Mm -hmm. terms of like what we got versus what we could have gotten yes but i'm almost just thinking now it could have been like them not uh, like being mindful to not overstep mm, because true. it could be like yes this is harry styles in a dress on the vogue cover mm-hmm. um whereas if we had something that was a little bit more vogue quote unquote yes. um a little bit more editorial yes i yep. think it would have been received a lot differently as mm. well i think they wanted to keep the or like try and maintain the balance of like yes this is a man wearing a dress but he still looks manly Mm. quote unquote so i think that's yeah quite interesting it's a really good point actually and it was in some ways very safe but then also very provocative Mm. um which for you and i might seem crazy because we didn't view it that way but um it definitely sparked a huge discourse and obviously he received a lot of praise for it as well but he also received some a lot of negative responses some Mm -hmm. from a loving perspective where people questioned why this was so remarkable when sort of non-white, non-straight, non-cis people have risked their safety and well-being numerous times by wearing feminine clothing Mm. um, in environments that are not open to that. Mm. Um, You know, should Harry be receiving that sort of praise Mm. when there are revolutionaries who have paved the way and allowed him to do this? And then you had 
negative criticism that was not loving, namely from our queens. <laughs> yeah, the our queens. <laughs> oh god. Please note we say that very ironically. Very um, ironically. <laughs> Candace Owens, who I don't even want to give her Where do we time begin? of day. She is an embarrassment to the black community, and just to let you all know, we do not claim her. She's an embarrassment to women too, so women don't claim her. Not um, not in the gender, not in the race. She's just we don't know her. If you also have the privilege of not knowing her, I'm sorry to burst that bubble for you. Um, you can forget about her after this, but let me just read you the tweet that she sent that was so critical to this discourse. So she said, There is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. I have to laugh. <laughs> just like even you reading that out, it just felt like reading like a conspiracy theorist mom's post on Facebook. Because I've seen a number of those. Like the whole Marxism. She did too much. She did, she too, did much. far too much and yet nothing at all. Evelyn, <laughs> can I just ask you, because you were shaking your head. What was that experience like hearing that? <laughs> That's the only valid response, really. It's just so many levels of wrong and it really... I don't know, you said this brilliantly in one of your live events, or the one that I went to, that there are people even within the community Mm. who uphold these pillars of patriarchy and whiteness Mm -hmm. against their own interests. Literally. It's like, what do you call, like, she's in the sunken place, right? She is absolutely in the sunken place, and I'm beyond even wanting to help her get out of it, like... Jordan Peele knew what he was doing when he He was atting her. He was atting her. He's like, this is this is <laughs> to help you. Kanye, um, Candace, we see you. <laughs> if you need help, blink twice. Because, like, <laughs> you know. like, nothing in the Vogue cover was actually saying that you can't be a manly man. It's just There like, was just... no comments on masculinity in the text of the interview. Mm. It was actually a very boring interview. Mm. That was just her, like, own... Take she wanted it. to be relevant. <laughs> yeah. She had to do the most. Um, and just something about what she did say as well, which was, like, completely untrue. Yes. Her first sentence of, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. That was particularly, like, does the East know this? <laughs> like, where are you getting your info from? So, um, yeah, I feel like, um, like, in specifically towards the East, gender like gender and fashion has never really been a thing like we've especially in south asia men um and even my dad wears wrong like skirts called lungis and you know scottish people have their kilts and um you've got middle eastern men and south asian men who are very forthcoming with affection with their male friends whether it be hand holding or kissing on the cheek and so it's things like her saying you know there's no society that can survive without strong men doesn't like it's almost as if she is equating that with being very anti I don't know if anti feminine no I don't know if anti feminine is the right word but it's it's just more so like she's kind of like reinforcing the definition of masculinity mm. that has been constructed by the west and imposed onto the global south and the east and she's just reinforcing this idea which is completely not true and I think it's just interesting that the East is always brought in as some kind Mm. of, like, scapegoat or some kind of, like, example for the right to be, like, either let's not be like the East or, like, Mm. let's remember the East and, like, they are so oppressive Mm. towards their culture. When concepts like homophobia and stuff like that were 
were not really prevalent before. No, until these before are Western ideals. Exactly. And um, yeah, I, that was just one of the things which really got to me in her little quote. I am so glad that you can provide that perspective for listeners who might not know that because she's really out here speaking for people who not can't speak for themselves, but who are too busy doing important work to even be looking at the conversation and defending themselves. <laughs> Definitely. She... She must have one friend from the East who is also in a sunken place and giving her bad information. There's a mole in the community. No, there's there's a South Asian mole in the community being like, yeah, find, Kevin, find that, them, is, guys. that is so right to say. Also, it's more demonizing femininity too because like how many Vogue covers have there been where like a supermodel's been wearing like a suit of some mm-hmm. sort? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the moment he takes on femininity, it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like women are never punished for taking on masculinity. Very yeah. true, very true. And it's like a lot more acceptable for women to be doing that. And I think especially because like it's so normal, like it's very regular for mm-hmm. us to all wear pants. Whereas mm-hmm. in like the 50s and 40s, mm-hmm. like the whole thing of like this, I remember there was like a little like, I don't know if it was like a revolution or something, but it was definitely like protests against women having to mm. wear skirts and mm. stuff like that. And I think fashion or like gender in fashion has always worked to the advantage for women better than it has for men. And I think it's only not only recently, but I think because of people like mm-hmm. Harry, um, who are straight, cis, white males who are desirable to women that that is now coming to light and is becoming an option for other straight cis white Mm. males to also um engage in Mm -hmm. because like we were talking about before loads of tiktok stars are like oh there's this one guy i don't know if you know him on tiktok i think his name's like christian sterling or something yes i love him him i'm so obsessed with him if you're listening we love you you, (laughs) he's like honestly i have the biggest crush on his energy and his charisma and his confidence is so attractive. So cute. And I think um, he's, like, one of those stars who, like, is, like, yeah, I'll wear a crop top. I'll wear a skirt. And he's very, like, he's so masculine but mm. so feminine. Yes. And, like, I think if Harry had a TikTok, that would be his TikTok. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so I love that people like him are, like, very open with that as well. And people... Like, obviously, people in this guy's comments, Christian's comments, are, like, simping over this man. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure lots of other men would also say that and be like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like, you know, I'm I'm speaking on this as somebody who is cis and who is straight. And so that limits my perspective. And I would encourage listeners to seek resources from people who are in the community who had important things to say about this. But I think a lot of people then saw the cover and thought... Is he queer baiting us Mm. Um, or is he performing femininity? And look, those things are relevant to consider and we'll unpack them in a second. But I think it missed the greater point that the whole idea, whether he's conscious of it or not, because I don't think he is, to be honest, is that you should, no matter your gender identity or expression, be allowed to wear an item of clothing and not have it actually be an expression of how you identify it's just clothing Mm. and it's removing the politics behind these items Mm. um and i think when we have someone like harry styles who has a lot to risk in terms of his image because he's a white heartthrob who has afforded a lot of privilege and a lot of love in the media having someone like him do something completely unexpected at least by locals and you know wearing a dress and sort of Um, engaging in behavior that is seen as more radical it then 
hopefully gives other men, cis or not, straight or not, the permission to wear those clothes as a way of self-expression and not necessarily gender expression or an expression of their sexuality Mm. because we need to move beyond the idea that clothes are political. And obviously that's... Like, that's a dream. Mm. And um, in being realistic about things right now, clothes are inherently political. And that's Mm. why it's relevant to have those conversations. But I think that, you know, by people saying that he's performing that femininity rather than him being, you know, masculine in a way that's authentic, like, it just reinforces a gender binary that we all looked at him wearing a dress and immediately it became a conversation about gender and sexuality. Mm. I think that really identifies the root of the problem. Definitely. And I think it's quite unfortunate that we couldn't just like look at this Vogue cover and be like, wow, this is a really beautiful man in a beautiful dress or slightly beautiful dress. (laughs) (laughs) And it had to to be this bigger conversation about what this means and Mm. like what this means for masculinity in the West. And of course, all of these like these conversations I'm I feel haven't been had in the mainstream before. Mm. And I think it is doing some good in allowing us a space mm-hmm. for it. An interesting discourse that it brought out was about our need for labels. And I think the fact that we all saw Harry in a dress and we all got our panties in a twist just shows how early we are in the conversation. And it actually makes me feel for the community members who are non-white, non-straight and non-cis who need our protection and our support and who need the ability to be able to express themselves without fearing for their safety or without fearing harassment. Because if so much vitriol is given to a privileged, rich white man, then, you know, what chance does that leave for the rest of the community members? Mm. There was a lot of questioning about, you know, well, he hasn't labelled himself. Like, that's a huge thing. Like, there's a lot of speculation that he's bisexual. And people say, well, is that queer baiting? And that's a valid criticism from the queer community. And I would agree that labels provide context. And I think it would have provided a lot of context to the discourse that surrounded his Vogue cover because it's significant if he is a straight cis man wearing a dress. It's very significant. And it's also significant if he is a member of the community as well. And it changes the discussion that we have. But I also think it brings up the question of whether or not we are entitled to somebody's label, especially when we are fighting for fluidity um, and we're trying to move past these binaries. But at the same time, some people might not be ready to come out. Um, Mm. Some people's labels might change. But you also don't want to assume people's identifications and and misrepresent them and force them into a position they don't want to be in. And so, you know, I'm obviously very wary in this conversation of making any bold assumptions. And in this discourse, we referred to him as straight and cis purely because we haven't received clarification otherwise, you know, which we aren't entitled to. But there was somebody within the community who was sort of addressing this idea that, well, you know, a lot of queer people of colour have done this before and are worthy of praise. And they absolutely are. But this is still an important moment. Heba is going to read you out Alok's comment because it just was the most eloquent and efficient um, summary of the situation that I had seen online. Yeah, of course. So um, Alok Menon is a non-binary author, performer, speaker and fashionista and they are consistently speaking on issues surrounding gender and LGBTQ issues in the community also um, and doing so through um, the racial lens as well. And they had a really interesting point in their caption, which I'll read out. And I quote, I'm holding simultaneity and choosing abundance over scarcity. I thought that line was very true and very important. And I also 
as someone who is not a part of the LGBTQ community um, and has not been affected by violence pertaining to gender and fashion choices and stuff like that. I thought that was really interesting because they go on to say, are we allowed to be really excited to have like this representation on a Vogue cover in mainstream media? And they say, yes, but have trans femme people of colour been doing this for generations and have been received very differently and in the arms of like violence, white supremacy and homophobia and transphobia? Yes, that is also true. But the point of what they were trying to say is that we're allowed to celebrate the individual but also critique the system. So I don't feel that it's the fault of Harry Styles for wearing this dress on this Vogue cover. He's one person. But I think we should be critiquing Vogue as a company for not platforming the voices and the people who have continued to do this for decades. Who haven't received these covers and these opportunities. Mm, definitely so it's all yeah it's all, again the same the similar thing of like people's stories and identities are getting stripped and afforded to like a, a, a palatable straight white man which will kind of yeah maybe shift the scene a little bit maybe create some bumps in the road but at the end of the day it's still a very acceptable kind of cover to have you definitely know? we could probably count on our hands how many trans um Fems that have been on the cover or you know that kind of stuff so I I think it's yeah really unfortunate that though it's something to celebrate there is still so much work to be done mm-hmm. and I'm glad that it did bring out this conversation and Alok's caption and comment surrounding the whole situation was very useful in understanding the situation from an outside perspective I feel. Definitely it sort of opened me to the idea of having yes and conversations mm-hmm. which was the way they approached this topic of Celebrating the wins but demanding more, having two sort of contrasting ideas be simultaneously the truth. Reading that comment really informed the ethos for this podcast, actually, of mm. aspiring to have those yes and conversations. I would really encourage you to read the full caption on Alok's post. Do you have Alok's Instagram handle? Yes, it's at Alok V Menon. Beautiful. And you'll find it underneath the image of Harry in a dress, yes. as one would guess. Now, to wrap things up, Harry has been nominated for a Grammy and hopefully this episode will be released on Grammy morning. So cross your fingers. It's a success, but he was nominated for best pop solo performance with his single watermelon sugar, which might I add was a great job of being sensual without over sexualizing women. Incredible. That's a different conversation. (laughs) And then for best pop Pop vocal vocal album album with fine line. Keep up. In conclusion of everything that we have discussed about our White King, (laughs) why do you think that Harry should win his two Grammys? Should he have been nominated for more? Um, So in my mind, I'm glad that he was nominated for two versus, I think, zero last Mm -hmm. time. Um, Watermelon Sugar was the bop, was was the summer (laughs) song. Song of the summer, yep. His contenders are still, like, pretty popular though like he's against like taylor swift and billy eilish were all really great artists and stuff too um yeah i unbiasedly think <laughs> that he should win the grammy for at least the best pop vocal album i agree um but i know there will be lots of taylor swift fans kind of rooting for folklore which was a really good album mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts because i know you're a swifty i well. am a swifty um longer than i've been a harry um, and Folklore was an incredible, incredible album that really reignited my love for Taylor. But I think if we're looking at the genre of pop, Fine Line was mm. the pop album. Mm. And I think 
I want all the success for Taylor, but Taylor's also already had all the success. She, she has more nominations and awards than she can count. So it's time to share the love. You know, hopefully I'm not made to be a fool, but I am someone who is really proud and unapologetic to celebrate and support Harry Styles because aside from being a genuinely talented musician, actor, and creative whose music I just listened to on repeat, he is somebody who stands up for women, supports women and marginalized communities as he should mm. and who really makes a safe space for women and whose career is so closely entwined with positive forms of masculinity and with a celebration of feminine power. Maybe without him, our friendship like would not have reached the heights wow. that it has. So obviously I don't know him, but like in some small ways, like I feel like I owe him that. Like he's just regardless of what happens, being a really relevant pop culture figure and a figure in our personal lives. You know, having had many wins as a fan of his, I would love to see him have this win. Of course. Perfectly said, Sonny. <laughs> He's going to listen to this one and be like, yeah, He will. Absolutely. I really hope so. Anyway, any of y'all who have judged us this episode have missed the point because this is a safe space for our unbridled passions. And I think it's important that everyone sort of unpack the stigma around standing people like Harry Styles because so much of it is coded in sexist language. And we don't want to be out here looking like Candace Owens working against our oh own team. Goodness. So definitely embark on that journey. Heba, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't, I couldn't have thought of a better topic and or person to discuss this with. Uh, it's been such an honor and I can't wait to have you be part of more episodes. Very excited. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to Tender Rage with Sunny Adcock featuring guest Heba Ali, where we unpacked all things Harry Styles and modern masculinity. Follow her at heba.a on Instagram. For more content, follow us on at tenderagepodcast and at sunny underscore adcock on Instagram. Tender Rage is an original production written and directed by yours truly, Sunny Adcock. Co-produced and edited by Evelyn Dubose at Evelyn Dubose on Instagram, who also did the music you're listening to right now. Thank you so much for tuning into the space. Get keen for more exciting episodes coming your way.